Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Mark Bauer. And I'm Brandon Polk. And welcome to episode six of Behind the Scene, a weekly conversation focused on understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. In this episode, we're going to delve a little deeper into what it means to actually listen. It's one thing to hear someone, but it's another thing entirely to actually listen and to understand what they are trying to communicate. Certainly, we've all experienced those moments when we think we're communicating something clear as glass, but the other person really is having trouble wrapping their minds around what it is you're saying. So it's important to understand where that misunderstanding is coming from. Assuming that you two are speaking the same language, a variety of factors can come into play. You have the speaker who is trying to communicate from their perspective and life experiences, and then you have the listener who is interpreting that information and trying to make sense of it based on their perspective and life experiences. And that whole mess is hard enough when you're operating from the same context and general life experience. It gets a little more difficult when you throw in completely different economic or racial backgrounds and then top it off with a controversial topic such as race relations. And when you introduce a topic of conversation like race relations that's wrapped around our identities, we abandon our pursuit of understanding and take up offensive and defensive postures that are intent on winning the exchange. Because our identities are now wrapped up in this, any so-called loss becomes personal and about us, rather than a greater pursuit that emphasizes understanding. And this understanding has chemical roots. Dr. Yuri Hassan at Princeton University several years ago recorded the brain activity of a woman while she told a story. They compared her brain activity to that of the listeners and discovered that the same areas of the brain were activated in the storyteller as in the listener. That momentary coupling allowed them to share that experience together based on understanding and empathy. So that's the question today is how do we become better listeners? How do we engage in that coupling together? And as always, we'll kind of get into it with a current event and one that's really charged things um, at the time of this recording is the Serena Williams at the U.S. Open uh, when she was essentially what people would say kind of robbed of another championship, right, uh, based on some refereeing or umpiring. I don't know what the technical word is for the officiating in tennis, uh, where people felt that he slighted her based on some things like her race and gender. Um, and so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that because people are saying that that probably wasn't actually the case. Um, while there's a whole bunch of other people on the other side who are pretty clear, to, it's pretty clear to them that that is the root of it to a degree. Right, Brandon? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, if we, um, I encourage everyone to go back, like YouTube, this whole exchange, you know, and um, like essentially, you know, what happened is, Serena Williams, you know, um, you know, smashed her racket on the ground, and um, and then she was accused of um, being coached um, by her coach from the stands, and um, in a way that was against protocol, um, in a way that wasn't allowed. And the referee challenged her, and uh, she defended herself and was very passionate in saying, uh, "I have a daughter. I have never cheated in this sport." Um, and if we looked at just that interchange between the referee and between Serena Williams um, and the intensity of that interchange, he is looking at her, nodding at her, though we can't really hear him. 
he is nodding at her as though he understands her and at the same time is telling her no what you're saying is untrue i saw you do it you did this and she is saying no i did not no i did not over and over again they have this interchange and somewhere along the way um something very mysterious is happening and they miss one another here he doesn't believe her she has an opinion of him at this point i am sure that is unkindly um you know why would this referee be um doing this to her maybe from her perspective thinking that she's being targeted for some reason who who knows what, what what's actually going through her mind at that moment but she's definitely upset and um and uh at at the situation and people are who are looking at this now on social media have their own opinions and, and the media have their own opinions about what's happening there here's what i think if we're going to stay on this topic of listening and maybe hearing one another i mean i um, i was just saying to mark earlier I, I said you know we can be listening to each other and not really hearing one another and there's a snapshot of a situation going on in this serena williams u.s open situation um did he ever ask her what was going on did he ever stop does he need to stop and ask her for clarification um in a situation like this maybe he doesn't you know but i think that would have been incredibly helpful if he had because <laughs> then maybe um you know she would get some clarity he would have gotten some clarity but for whatever reason that didn't happen maybe that's not the context in which you have a conversation like like this but um but obviously there was a misunderstanding you know there and you know who um, gets penalized for it you know Serena Williams gets fined $17,000 and um, the young lady who won um, you know sort of steps into that role um, with people booing her saying that she didn't win it fair and square yes. and so it was her fault and um, you know and I'll just say this to Serena Williams credit you know she did step up you know um, to that person and defended her and and said you know with with the other woman i forget her name but tears streaming down her face you know in such conflict you know um where she isn't sure wh whether or not she won um based on her own merit you know um or if it was because you know some referee targeted serena williams you know so um i think that's one of the more um of of the unfortunate circumstances you know that maybe has occurred you know from not listening i mean think about the, the consequences of times when you haven't listened or haven't really heard someone you know maybe we haven't been fined seventeen thousand dollars but maybe it was something worse than that maybe it was something less consequential but still you know if 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 i don't listen or if i didn't listen as a child you know i'd get punished or something right i mean yeah i think that's what happens you know so yeah and i, and I think before we get into those questions about you know when we were misunderstood or when we didn't feel like we had been heard or when we feel like maybe we kind of completely missed something that someone was trying to say and we didn't realize it until later um one thing that's being said around this whole serena william things is is it really about race is it really about her her sex her, her gender how do we know are there some other exclamation uh, exclamation oh my god i can't even say the word um explanations explanations, explanations. gosh i should that's have done some tongue twisters before this good <laughs> lord uh and and so there's this whole dialogue around well can we is it is it that are there other uh, things that it could be and you know because it's it is a rule he enforced a rule that says you can't coach from the uh the sidelines or from the from the crowd and uh and so he's just enforcing a rule that exists but if you go look at other tennis players they're like well yeah that's kind of just no one really ever enforces that and it's not egregious and that kind of thing happens all the time and and so why is he choosing to enforce it in this moment 
uh, as you said, Brandon, that she felt really probably hurt and accused by that, saying to him that I've never cheated in my life. And so that is kind of the pretext for everything else that transpired after that. When she broke her racket, um, he penalized her for that, when that really should have probably been the first verbal warning that occurred, but he kind of already wasted it on something that was really unnecessary. And a lot of opinions, you know, I, I don't watch tennis, so I don't really understand that. But from what I've heard, I heard even some announcers say, I've been around tennis for a long time and I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. And so we take these stories like that from the announcers, people who have been around tennis, um, and Serena Williams herself, her own reaction and the reactions of people. And I found those really compelling enough that I said, okay, well, what factor is it then if it's, if it's not – if other people haven't experienced this kind of behavior toward them, these kind of penalties, then what is it about Serena mm-hmm. Williams? And unfortunately, the glaring thing is her race, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the glaring thing is her race. The glaring thing is her, I mean, maybe not as much her gender um, because it's women. It's a women's, it's match. A women's match. But um, but where some of the things, you know, that has made Serena Williams really controversial is her fashion you know her outfits you know what she chooses to wear um you know she is a curvy black woman you know um you know with uh with endorsements and she's powerful and she's you know got money and you know she's been faithful to this sport for a long time um yeah sure the anomaly is maybe potentially her race the color of her skin and um you know and even her reaction if we point to you know, certain things, if you listen to our podcast on black anger, um, you know, where we talk about sort of the black angry woman stereotype, you know, then I wonder if this is at play there, you know, um, in some way. I really don't know. I mean, I'm not in the mind of the referee. I can't say that I really know. I mean, but but I do know this. I know that what I have to look at is what is bringing up this conversation. The very fact that we're having the conversation lets me know that something is going on if this were um the referee and the person wasn't serena williams but was a more white looking woman would we be having this conversation at all would it have happened at all um i don't know but it didn't happen to another white person it happened to a black person to a black woman and her response wasn't passive it wasn't submissive it was hey i'm not standing for that you called me a cheater she called him a thief (laughs) and this back and forth you know this like you know but if this were a man a white man you know um in any other context except for tennis maybe if you were in basketball or you know football or if you were in the boardroom you know we wouldn't be having this interchange i i think that sometimes you know these things happen as a microcosm or, or sort of as a thing for us to look at that points to um, to smoke where there is a fire. And culturally, if we are um, hearing this story and it's um, overtaking the news band, you know, um, CBS is talking about it, NBC is talking about it, CNN, Fox News, you know, NPR, everybody's social talking media. about it, social media, everyone's talking about it. Where there is smoke, there is fire. And if, if we're not willing to actually listen um, to some of the greater narrative of what people are feeling and what they're going through, um, what our emotions are in response to a story like this, then um, it's, it's you know, then we're going to miss each other. It's, it's less important to me at this point, you know, what actually happened to Serena Williams, though that's important um, to understand that situation. And hopefully there's some, some kind of justice that comes out of that for whoever was 
you know, wrong. treated wronged, you know, or, you know, uh, but, um, but I think, you know, for the masses who have no personal relationship connection to Serena Williams or to the U.S. Open, I could really care less that care about this issue. I think that the larger question for me is, um, why are you impacted by it personally? You know, what is going on in your heart that makes you um, offended by someone calling this a race issue? Um, what is it um, uh, that is like offended on the other side of people denying that it's race racially connected and um and maybe in in the context of that we can actually have a beneficial and effective dialogue which is why we're talking about listening today yeah it's important to engage on it and yeah that's exactly why we're having this conversation so we could go on and on and on about just that one situation in general but um we'll move on to kind of understanding a little bit more what is involved in listening and and how we can be better listeners and even with this this conversation with serena williams like like you mentioned like where are we kind of missing each other why do we feel slighted? Why are we so offended by this on either side of it? And uh, and so yeah, we'll we'll jump right into that with uh, with some stories of our own about when are some times that we felt like we haven't been heard, or when are some times that we've missed someone else. And Brandon, if you have something compelling that you want to jump into, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think that you know something came to mind as we were talking earlier. Um, you know, I um, rarely do I post anything. On social media you know that is so personal or a personal narrative you know to myself and I oftentimes wonder if I should do that more and mm-hmm. when I do it you know I just go oh man why did I do that you know so I'll just tell you this that there's this one incident you know that um, I posted about on social media and this is where the explosion happened you know so I'll tell you right now spoiler alert don't post anything on social media um, if you don't um, want um, a lot of negative responses to what you said or a lot of misunderstandings. Just have a conversation in person with somebody, okay? Um, spoiler alert. So um, here's what happens. So I go, just imagine this, picture this. I'm going in to a grocery store um, here in Washington, D.C. And, you know, they have the little self-checkout counter. And uh, I um, was standing next, you know, to uh, an, an older white woman, you know, probably in her, you know, 40s or, or 50s, you know, and she, um, the, the machine that she was operating wasn't working properly, and it gave her the wrong amount of change, and um, there was an attendant in the self-checkout section um, who, um, you know, went over to her to try and help her, and it was loud in the store, and so she made uh, a reference, you know, to the number to the amount of change that she should have received back and he misunderstood her um, when he understood her the right way the second time or third time she said it he went oh I'm sorry I misunderstood you um, I will go and get a manager and we will make the change correct he walked away and then I heard her say they don't know how to count unless it's with a calculator or unless they have a machine helping them and to which point I said to her, um, one, you said that in front of me as a black person, like, and she actually looked at me while she said it as though I was supposed to give her some kind of validation or something of the incident. Like, oh, don't you know this is true, actually, that people, you know, like you don't 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 actually know how to count unless they have a, a machine helping them, you know, so I thought that was really interesting, you know, but um, but I said to her, I, I said, you know, you don't. Um, that's not how we talk to people. That's not how we talk about people when they walk away. I said, it's not very nice. And she said to me, then she doubled down on the comment and said, oh, well, you know I'm true. 
or, or, or you know I'm telling the truth, you know I'm right. And I went, excuse me? And then other people heard her comment as well. And the feeling of it was that she was really like, like not even like covertly racist. I mean, it was, I mean, not even, and, and I had a hard time calling her racist because I don't know her. I don't know anything about her history. So that's the first like listening thing is that I heard her, she heard me. Okay, fine. Then I went to social media. I was so impacted by the incident and I just wrote out a description of the incident. And, and I'll just say this, that I closed the statement by saying this. Um, I don't know if this person was a racist or not, but I do know this, that we wouldn't want our own children to be treated that way. And there is something in um, like really respecting human dignity and self-determination and empowering people that we should grab onto as human beings. And I tagged the grocery store and my post and, and I said, this young man deserves a, um, he should get a scholarship or something. He was so fantastic and now he served her. He even skipped over me to go serve her and to attend her first, which I was totally in agreement with. It was fine. Um, so long story short, you know, I did that and it was like the whole Twitter verse and the Facebook verse and the Instagram verse, you know, just kind of blew up and everyone heard me call her a racist. And I said, I never called her a racist in the post. I used the word racism. I said, I don't know if this is racism or not. I said, but, and then made that statement. But everyone saw what they wanted to see. Mm -hmm. They heard what they wanted to hear because they were already afraid. They had already presumed that I would make a statement calling someone else out for being racist. But I actually didn't do that. Yeah. And um, and then there were, were attacks directed towards me or even people who would let me mentor their children, you know, or people that would, um, you know, that would trust me with the content of their lives all of a sudden were suspicious of my intentions. They were suspicious of my motives in the interchange and especially in my recording of the interchange. So um, I thought that was pretty interesting, you know, and people didn't accept my, uh, my narrative the first go around about what happened, yeah. you know? Yeah. How about you, Mark? Uh, well, yeah, no, I can see how that'd be kind of, uh, painful because you're posting this you're being a little bit vulnerable and you feel like you're sharing with people you know and are close yeah. with and and then they come back and they're like well you know is your account really accurate is this really what was going on absolutely um it, but so for me one of the actually stories that i was going to use was that the first time i was called a racist uh actually kind of similar i guess um in that it was someone else i was talking to someone in, in public and someone else spoke up and i was like well that's a little racist and I say the first time I was called a racist, so that implies that there was like <laughs> there were multiple times. times. Well, multiple times. I've never called you a racist. Yeah, thank you. Um, You're welcome. So this is the first time. <laughs> but I talk, I've talked about work when I was in college. I think I've talked about this. I worked in loss prevention, which is basically plain clothes, walking around retail store, and you uh, are looking for people who are shoplifting. And so that's what I was doing. I was walking around the store, and on this particular day, I stopped a kid who was probably, I think he was 16, maybe even a little younger, uh, yeah, he was younger. He was like 14. Um, and I stopped him, brought him back to the office. He was stealing and wrote the report. And because he was a minor, he was like 14. Um, he had to call in a, a parent at that point mm -hmm. and, or someone, a guardian. So parents were unavailable or talked to them. And they said, well, we can't come pick him up, but his older brother can. So his older brother comes and he comes in and I'm giving a spiel. And there's a standard spiel that we give because at the end of it, instead of calling the police, we don't, you know, we don't want someone's poor decision to completely just jack up their life. So um, at the end of it, when brother comes in, we give a spiel about, hey, you're going to receive this 
fine. It's kind of like a civil fine. It's not criminal, but it has to be paid off. And in order for it to be paid off, here's some suggestions for you on how to do that. And, and these suggestions came from my own experience. And when I was a kid and I was not old enough yet to work, I would go around the neighborhood and I would mow lawns for money. And so you can imagine if I'm sitting here telling a Hispanic kid that, I, I didn't I didn't think that there was anything wrong with what I was telling him because that was my experience. This, this is, you know, I'm, I'm suggesting babysitting. These are all things that I've done. Uh, I've hung up Christmas lights. And so when I got to that point, when I'm rattling off my list of things and I say, I get to the point about mowing lawns, his brother pipes up and he's like, well, that's racist. And it caught me off guard and I, I didn't even know what to do at that point. Mm. But mm-hmm. um, I was a little angry. It made me a little angry because I knew that none of that existed in my heart. Mm. But there was this accusation being leveled against me. Um, and since then, reflecting on it, I understand that there were, I understand where that misunderstanding probably occurred. Um, I'm, it's sad that, you know, that it had to devolve into an accusation against me, like racism. That's a, that's a really accusatory thing, terrible thing to accuse someone against with. And, um, and so it hurt for a little while. And, and so that's my, that's yeah. my story. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard. Now we know, yeah. you know, like don't, uh, don't look at a Hispanic kid and tell him he shouldn't go mow the lawn oh, in order to pay off his bills. Yeah. But isn't, <laughs> think, isn't yeah. even that, like, even, <laughs> isn't, if I looked at that Hispanic kid and thought, well, I can't use this example because he's Hispanic, like, isn't well, you that in itself a little prejudice, right? You didn't like, know. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's uh, no. <laughs> because I'm, I don't look, know. <laughs> I'm looking at his outward example, like his outward person, and I'm saying, I can't use this because it might trigger him. Anyway, yeah. we could. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, we can't be overly sensitive to it, but I, I get it. But this is one of those things where that's why the conversation needs to happen because I don't know. Is it? What is it? I don't know. There are so many things to unpack there, and we're just not going to do that in this episode. So, yeah. but we're going to talk about it because we're going to listen to each other, and that's what we're talking yeah. about today. Yeah, we can have this conversation offline. Uh, <laughs> so, so what are the things that keep us from listening to each other? So, in in our examples. Uh, that we presented in years in the grocery store and then posted on social media and then my interaction with this kid and his brother um, what what is it that prevented us from hearing each other in those moments yeah um, you know I think that one of the things you know is the presumption of guilt you know and um, and the presumption you know that what um, rather the presumption of guilt of, of, of the other person or, or the presumption that the person on, on the other side of the argument is wrong, um, which means that there is a presumption that you then are right, you know. Um, and um, if my identity is tied to what I know, um, to what I think I know about the world and about the universe and the way that it works, the moment that someone attempts to introduce new data to me, data that could disrupt my worldview, my understanding of self, then that becomes a threat. That becomes a threat to, to who I think I am and to um, the sum of my upbringing, the sum of my, the sum of my decisions. You know, we are all people, you know, that have very distinct and unique biologies, uh, that we're all the same, you know, in our biology mostly, you know, but we have different genetics. We all look different. And at the same time, we also grow up in... Um, different environments and have distinct reactions to those environments and um, the sum of those things you know help to create the doctrine of ourselves you know the, the doctrine of how we see ourselves the doctrine of how we believe people see us the doctrine of how we believe the universe works um, in relationship to us 
And um, anything that comes in to disrupt that can feel manipulative. It can feel abusive. It can feel um, um, without a doubt wrong. And going to someone and accusing them of being, well, not even accusing them, going to someone and challenging them on behavior or on their belief with your own opinion can, you know, if you're not listening, sound like someone has called you a racist or called you a bigot or called you some other kind of name and um, or just didn't respect you for what your belief was or that you were just you know, wrong and therefore not worth connecting with, you know. Um, uh, so I think there's a ton of that, you know, going on, you know, for people. So I don't know. Um, what else? What yeah. else, Mark? Yeah. Um, and to, and it all goes back to you talking about identity and who you are and some of our experiences. And, and I think you're right. I think you're, you're definitely hitting it on the head. And there's some other things that are that come into play and some of that from, from my experience and some conversations I've had with friends and even in the context of my relationship and we talked about how I've gone experienced some counseling and uh, one of the things that I learned was that um, to take a non-judgmental view of what's being told to you and understand that it's not about you because that's our first initial reaction is okay what's my part in this story and sometimes it's not even necessarily about you sometimes this person's just communicating and you have to take yourself out of that picture, even though it looks like you are, you know, you feel like you're being accused. You're not even, it's not even really about you. And so, um, but one of the things that to get to that point of understanding where it's not about you, what is this person trying to say that doesn't involve me, but it feels like it involves me, is I think there's also some fear of manipulation, especially in, in the race context. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even in any kind of relationship, if you feel like you don't have any kind of self-control and you feel like someone is trying to gain an upper hand to manipulate you, to get you to go wherever it is mm-hmm. that they're trying to get you to go, they're going to invoke all kinds of arguments or excuses in order to get you to go in that direction. And so I think that there is some real, real fear of manipulation mm. uh, in that area. Yeah, I mean, what is the fear of, fear of manipulation really? I mean, I, fear, of, fear of being controlled. You know, um, you know, we talked in our most recent episode about the uh, the poles of fear and courage. And, you know, um, I, I think that we all have options, you know, when we're experiencing fear like that, you know, but the first thing is to acknowledge that we're experiencing fear at all. And um, and in particular, Mark, I think what you're talking about, this fear of manipulation, but what's being manipulated, it's what I believe to be true about me is now being challenged and you were trying to then convert me. I mean, the like imagine, you know, someone trying to, um, you know, sort of brainwash you, you know, into becoming a part of something that you don't want to be a part of, or at least you don't know that you do. And I think that generally speaking, we're very suspicious people in the Western world at times. And, um, you know, we're not as trusting as we say, as say we were maybe 50 years ago. I think that there are reasons for that. You know, the political landscape in this country has changed, um, you know, drastically in the last um, 50, 60 years. Um, race relations have changed drastically in the last 50, 60 years. Um, you know, I was talking to some folks earlier today, you know, about how, you know, let's just remember, you know, it's just been 50 years since King was assassinated. You know, it wasn't a long time ago, <laughs> you know, and um, and uh, even during that, that time period, you know, when 
when, when, when there was some movement of justice there, the implementation of, say, Brown Board of Education or something like that, you know, it took a really long time. And there are trust issues because of that. You know, so when someone comes to you and, and says, you know, hey, you know, um, this never happened. Or if someone comes to someone that experienced the Holocaust and said, you know what, that never happened. You know, that's offensive, you know, to people, you know, you don't want to be controlled or manipulated into believing something that you hold to be so true about who you are and like your identity, you know. And so, I mean, those are examples of things that are, you know, you know, kind of obvious, you know, but what about things that are more subtle, you know, um, people don't want to believe things about themselves that are maybe true. Um, who wants to believe that they're being subconsciously or even consciously motivated or compelled by bias you know when it comes to how they treat other people i mean who really wants to believe that about themselves you know i think that's a crisis for anyone in this situation you know black brown you know white or yellow whatever it is you know that if there's some kind of discrimination happening you know that's coming from the inside of us we don't believe we're doing that mm -hmm. you know we're living in complete denial of self you know and like um or at least in a in a denial of of our capacity for hurting other people we're living in denial of our capacity for hurting other people with our thoughts hurting other people with our words we're living in denial of our capacity for thinking things and um that are bigoted um i though i may not call you a bigot right um though you may not want to see yourself as a bigot or as a racist does that mean that you are then um absent of anything racist on the inside of you um and uh, or, or on on the inside of us, you know, um, uh, and and I, I don't that that's that's not necessarily true, but you know that's hard for people to to contend with, you know. Yeah, and and going back to my relationship and how some of these things started to uh, churn in me, some introspective work that I had to do, um, and grievances that she had against me and me against her, um, and you guys, I hope you're not tired of me talking about this, but um, <laughs> but this is tell us all yeah, about I'll it. I'll tell you all about tell it. Tell us all about but it. But one thing that I was able to do was once I was able to identify that, yes, I was capable of hurting her with words or actions or things that I did or didn't do, uh, you know, because sometimes it can be hurtful from the things that you don't do. Um, once Certainly. you realize that uh, that you're capable of that, and that doesn't necessarily say anything about your character. Um, that we're just human and we're flawed and we're broken. I can t now take those things and I can say, okay, I am kind of accidentally hurting you or I'm mishearing you. Um, and that doesn't say anything about who I am, but I want to be a better person. I want to be a better partner. I want to be a better human being. I can now sit here and do that work and also learn about who I am and become a little bit more secure in myself. And so um, I used to think that having this open mind would just like, well, if your mind's so open, then your brain's going to fall out. And what good is that? Um, and, <laughs> but be open-minded in a way that is, and you've talked about this before, curious. Um, and you said data, information, you're hearing and listening, and all this is just new information and new data. And you can compare it to what you know is right and true. And if it is in conflict with that, then that you might have to reevaluate what you think you know is right or true. And if you reevaluate that and it stands up and you say, yes, this is still right and true, then maybe this is the information that is incorrect. Um, and so it actually allows you to stand more confidently in the things that you know or the things that you thought you know knew because you're building and building and building and taking in new information and new information. And the more information you can take about the world, about different places, 
about different kinds of people, uh, about different experiences, then that creates just an even bigger, stronger foundation of truth. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I think what you're hitting on too is, um, you know, when we're feeling really confronted, you know, with something that we, you know, with something that is uncomfortable, um, someone else comes and they just tell us something we don't believe, you know, and it's offensive to us, you know. I, I think that our natural jump, you know, is to be defensive, you know, and we feel we need to defend our position and defend our identities and, and defend what we think is true. And we become very tribal, you know, in that sense, you know, so, um, you know, we raise our kids, you know, to believe a certain thing, you know, we hang out with people that are just like us. We read books that are just written for us by people that think just like us. And we don't really challenge ourselves like intentionally. How we break that cycle is, I think, you know, in two ways. It's really important that we do have data. It's really important that we have some sort of evidence-based learning um, that comes from data gathering, um, some statistics, you know, that help to balance um, what is part two, and that is the narrative, you know, that is the storytelling. Um, we have to personalize data in a way that short circuits our inclination to defend ourselves. And as, as if someone is attacking me, um, it's more about someone trying to um, get me to understand what it is that they're going through. Someone trying to get me to understand the context of their pain, the layeredness of their pain and of their experience. If I am not open to that simply from the data, then I have to, um, or at least I then I think we'll have more of an opportunity to hear it, to understand data, um, to believe data that's contrary to what I believe if through relationship, someone tells me a story that makes me think twice because I actually do have respect and love for the person that's right in front of me. Mm. Um, that's how we started this podcast initially. You know, I think it's just sitting down and sharing stories about each other's experiences in the context of race. And then if we had become offended or defensive of each other's experiences, we wouldn't be sitting here recording today. But instead, that that those poles, you know, that nuclear energy that was coming out of the tension between fear and courage. Courage created something and it created an opportunity for us to talk about the issue and um, about the issues. We're just talking about race today, but, you know, we're going to be <laughs> or in, in this podcast series. But I think we're going to be talking about other things that are behind the scene, you know, as we continue to grow. And um, but we're doing that because we found a, 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 a way not, not, not just a way, I said we found our intention to really listen and to be curious about other people and about their stories and about the way the world works and, um, and at the same time, um, you know, balance um, a passion for justice and for equity and for equality and know that it's not going to um, happen just in a day. Um, it's going to happen, or, or really over the course of 50 years, you know, it could be that for 400 years of slavery in this country that it's going to take us, you know, half that amount of time to get you know, right on this issue, you know, save a, um, an emotional and, and, and soulful spiritual awakening in the people of this country and maybe in the world to actually get us to the point of a, a, a quicker um, type of the restoration and reconciliation, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important to reiterate that um, stories are information and data. And, I, and I, I 
don't want that to get lost in that. I know we've both kind of mm-hmm. touched on a little bit, but uh, in talking with people, they talk about the need for empirical data uh, when we're trying to engage in conversation or argument. And certainly that's important. It has its place if we're talking about measuring disproportionalities in, say, the criminal justice system or in education or in uh, poverty. You know, those, those things are certainly important and they help inform our policymaking. But when it comes to understanding the other person and someone else's experiences, you can't really create a data set for that. You know, that mm-hmm. all is coming through storytelling. That's right. mm-hmm. And that's that storytelling is still data. It's a different kind of data or it's, mm-hmm. a, or it's a kind of information. Well, it's qualitative, qualitative, you know, yeah. as opposed to being quantitative, you know, and um, quantitative analysis, you know, has its place. Quantitative data gathering is extraordinarily important, you know, but um, the qualitative analysis and data gathering and assessment, <laughs> you know, all of that is just as important. And, um, and, and, and we oftentimes, you know, I mean, talk about manipulation. We manipulate data, numbers, like empirical data all the time to tell the story we want to tell. And I think it's a, it's a lot easier to do, you know, when you're on, you know, one of the news networks and they give you 30 seconds worth of, uh, of empirical data and zero story to go along with it, or at least the story they want to tell. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that what's really, um, like, what is our personal responsibility is to do a fair amount of qualitative data gathering on our own in terms of who we talk to, who we know, being intentional about gathering that data. Who do you know? Who are the people that you know? Is there a diversity in your friend group? Is there a diversity of thought within your family? Is there a diversity of thought within your work or business? Are you intentionally reading things and consuming some information that's challenging for you? Am I doing that? Is Mark doing that? Um, if 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 we're not, then we're just you know reading books and things that are preaching to the choir of what we think, and that doesn't help me grow. Um, that doesn't help me come to a more honest um, solution and 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 a real conclusion. Um, with, with within myself about how I want to approach a lot of these issues that we care about. So, yeah. yeah. And that goes to, kind of takes us, to, and we're kind of coming up on time. I know we don't have a hard stop, but we kind of want to keep it in a certain, you know, time frame for sure. Uh, so real quick, touch on um, what is the goal of listening? And for, for me, one thing is it helps create a better you uh, because mm. you're taking out old information that might be incorrect and about the world and you're replacing it with good information. Mm-hmm. If you're laying a foundation you add of knowledge, you definitely want the right information in there. So it just helps create a better you, a more secure you. So learning how to listen and be curious about the world helps you become a better human being. But there's also things that you know you could come up with all kinds of reasons. There's moral reasons. Uh, if, if you're not listening to the hurts that are occurring in the world, uh, then you're missing out on opportunities where you can engage with that and push out hurt and brokenness in the world um, and then there's also um, patriotic you could talk about patriotic you know we talk about patriotism being binary um, there could be a patriotic duty to your fellow Americans uh, to your fellow humans um, that say okay this wrong this is occurring we could be a better America uh, you know all boats rise with the tide you know if, if I'm a better me if you're a better you uh, then that creates a better environment for all of us uh, together in this yeah, sure. I think um, just additionally, just briefly, I think, um, you know, what listening does, if you're really listening and then hearing, you know, I think that um, it's one thing to listen, but to make sure you actually hear someone takes effort and it takes intentionality. Um, asking good questions is really important. Um, asking questions about the specifics of what someone is telling you. Um, don't assume that in the first telling that you understand exactly what it is that someone's going through. 
they can tell you, you know what, I went on a boat. And you have no other details other than that. And if you just pass that by and just go, okay, great, you went on a boat. Like, that's it. What about the details? What kind of boat was it? Why were you there? You know, uh, what did you get from the experience? Were you with any interesting people? Did you have any interesting conversations? Being curious is about being curious about the other person. And then as the other person is telling you who they are, allow the other person to impact you with the full weight of who they are. And that is uncomfortable. And that uncomfortable feeling, um, what that can create in you is compassion and empathy for someone that is different, not just the person in front of you, but people anywhere else around you who you do not know, don't understand, maybe they come from different backgrounds. You know, empathy is a really important gift. Um, empathy is something that um, comes naturally to a lot of people, and for other people, you have to grow into it. And I think that you know the the um, way in which we even begin to listen <laughs> is um, really an intention. I think you know to grow in empathy, to grow in knowledge, to grow in understanding, um, to grow in your ability to um, to shed tears and to mourn with with another human being about what's happening in their lives, not just to mourn but to celebrate with them. And uh, yeah, to be patriotic is to be that you know to be a part of the um uh the to be a part of the family of humanity is to um, reach out and um as diana ross would say reach out and touch somebody's hand you know make this world a better place if you can mm -hmm. and we could sing it if we want but okay. we won't because we're out of time we're out of time yeah <laughs> maybe maybe next time maybe the chat will intro reach next episode out and touch. yeah yeah i won't so, do it uh yeah and uh, we also want to leave you with a call to action. Uh, generally, it's kind of related to what we've already kind of talked about. Some questions that Brandon and I answered earlier are when are some times that you feel like you haven't been heard? Or when is a time that you feel like you noticed you missed what someone else was saying and you didn't realize it in the moment, but thinking back on it? And then kind of unpack the components of that. What was the cause of that misunderstanding? Uh, what kind of factors were at play? Was it different life experiences? different understandings of yeah Brandon mentioned a boat you know if you say oh we're going on our boat uh you might have the thought that oh okay well it's, we're going on a little a ski boat and we're gonna be doing some surfing uh mm -hmm. or some water skiing and then you get out there and you're, you're on a, like a little john boat or you're on a paddle boat that completely miss you know, like it understands the the expectations that ha were had if you're talking about making plans and going doing something like that if you have different ideas for what a boat is um and so I would answer those questions and um and yeah, see what's going on there. Yeah, be curious. Be curious be about yourselves. Curious. Be curious about people. Yep. That's great. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, next episode is TBD, but we will be back at the same time, same place. Suspenseful. Suspenseful, I know. Hold on to your butts. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, and then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then, of course, if you think you know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.